Hello and welcome to Dollars on Film, a little crowd's dedicated sports movies podcast. I'm your host, Jason, and joining me on this week's episode is Stewie and Ali. How are the two of you this evening? I'm doing great, thanks. Um, it was an interesting movie to watch this week, but we'll discuss that later. But yeah, um, been a good week um, overall um, with a few of my um, sports teams getting up over the weekend, which was nice. Yeah, I'm doing, uh, I'm doing pretty good. Uh, we are recording a bit of a peek behind the curtain. We are recording uh, a bit later than I would usually like to record a podcast, but uh, I'm hanging in there, man. I think we're all a little bit fried, so apologies in advance for uh, any uh, any mix-ups that might occur. No, I think that we're all feeling that way. Uh, yeah, me definitely too. Uh, let's get stuck into the episode. On this week's episode, we'll be speaking about 1980s satirical Aussie rules football film titled The Club. A little bit of a synopsis about the film. It follows the fortunes of an Australian rules football club made out to be the Collingwood Magpies over the course of a season and explores the clashes of individuals from within the club. Inspired by backroom dealings and antics in the Victorian Football League's Collingwood Magpies Club, we see the club pay a high price for high-profile Tasmanian recruit Jeff Hayward. Jeff doesn't play well initially, despite the hefty $120,000 price tag on his name, which wasn't exactly the norm at the time. Um, We'll go into a bit of the historical aspects of the film a bit later. Um, But this infuriates head coach Laurie Holden, whose coaching days may be over soon, too, based on the team's form. Um, Ali, you said before that it was a pretty interesting movie. I think that uh, I would agree. And I think uh, even before we hit record on this as well, we all sort of agreed and um, talked about what our feelings were about the film. But um, yeah, we'll just, what did you think of the film? Uh, What did you like? What what didn't you like? Yeah, definitely an interesting film. Um, Yeah, obviously, you probably, for the most part, wouldn't stand up um, in today's society. Obviously, um, a few comments and things and storylines made won't um, hold up today. But um, it had its moments. It wasn't all bad. But, yeah, definitely an interesting film. And, Stuart, what are your initial thoughts on the film? I know that you said that you saw it when you were quite young and Ali and I uh, have only just seen it for the first time this week. But uh, sort of what do you remember, I guess, from having watched it previously and to watching it just recently now as well? Uh, that's actually a fantastic question. So um, when I was a kid, I think I was just kind of swept up in the fact that, oh, my God, there's a movie about this game that I love and I recognise some of the people on there, uh, Lou Richards and, and Scotty Palmer and stuff like that, that I knew from like television, watching footy when I was a young fella. Um, and I just I really remember enjoying it a lot and, um, you know, just kind of really just being with the team come on can you turn it around kind of thing uh it's a very different experience uh watching it last night um i think it's uh it's not controversial to say that it is uh it's a little bit problematic in places um it definitely suffers from a little bit of uh over over acting also um yeah and uh, another thing that struck me was um the guy that plays Jeff Jeff Haywood, that's the character's name, right? Yeah. It is. Um, is that John Howard that's playing him? It sure is. Yes. Oh my god, I've only ever known him as like an old man actor. So the and when I watched it as a kid, obviously I didn't know who he was, and then seeing it last night, I was like, 
oh, geez, this something is not right about this picture. And it's because it's a, you know, a young muscle bound John Howard. So it might even be worth checking out just for, uh, you know, just if you're curious to see what that looks like. <laughs> yeah, no, definitely. Um, you know, it sort of, you know, struck me a little bit through seeing a young John Howard, um, you know, having sort of known sort of his filmography and, you know, what he's been in, I guess, um, you know, in recent times. And so like, that's the picture of him that I have in my mind as well. And so it was a bit weird to see, but Stuart, you touched on a bit uh, just before about, you know, seeing an Aussie rules football film being made or being released. And I think that that's a really good point to make because Aussie rules football films are pretty scarce um, in the film landscape. I think that there's only a handful. I think there's only probably about like four or five like proper ones that aren't more like a documentary style um, piece as well. And so I think that, yeah, I think that people really want an Aussie rules football film and sort of will hold on to any Aussie rules football film, especially um, even if it is a bit problematic, as you mentioned as well, um, which is the feeling that I got from this film as well. Uh, there were a few times where I sort of had to just like, I was really like taken aback by some of the comments that were being made, some of the themes that were being talked about. Um, and I guess that, that is reflective of that 1970s, 1980s culture, I guess, that wouldn't really stand up in this day and age either um but yeah in terms of like the film itself i think i found myself uh yeah just really sort of i don't know like there was there was times where i didn't want to properly like watch like what was happening or what was being spoken about like you know i hoped or i'd wanted to like sort of just skip forward a little bit um which i think is yeah which, you know, we're talking about this movie and I think that it's probably bad to say, like, you know, that I would do that or anything like that. But um, in terms of, like, the storyline, I think that you got a real sense of, yeah, just the sort of happenings and the sort of dealings around a football club at that time and just sort of some of the characters that you sort of, uh, you know, are sort of expected to see, um, especially in a history rich club like Collingwood I guess as well um, you know you've got a lot of years of experience there and I think that that was really evident in this movie when you know they referenced history referenced past players and all that sort of thing and you know there were those people that are the real traditionalists and you know just want to you know see the club sort of stay the same or um, not want you know, too big of a change like we sort of saw in the film. But uh, as I sort of said too, it's sort of like evident of the changing times at, at the time as well. Look at them pictures up there, Danny. Danny, I'm talking to you. Look, Cheetah Ryan, the greatest centre man of all time. Warren Oates, only five foot seven, but with a heart as big as a pumpkin. Mike Lenahan, Terry Dunstan, Sandy Forbes. Great names from a great club. And you've got the honour of the tradition that they created resting right there in your hands. Yeah, it's um, one other thing I found was um, obviously it is a movie, but they did have like um, cameos from like um, 
So the great commentators like Lou Richards and a few of the like actual players from like Collingwood at the time, like Peter Dacos featured in it. And um, so I was watching it because I actually, I actually in my head, I mixed it up when I, when I was a kid. I, um, so I'm an ex Collingwood supporter. Um, I made the switch a couple of years ago, but um, as a kid, I had this DVD. I think focusing on the 2010 season or something at what something. And at the back of it, there was this like documentary type thing of taking, I think, through around it was 19, just before the 1990 flag. Um, I think whoever, I can't think of it on the top of my head, but whoever was coaching before Lee Matthews was. Um, and then going to obviously the 2010 flag. So in my head, I had like, that was the, what we were going to be watching for um, apparently for no reason whatsoever. I, in my head, it was a documentary, but it was a movie, but um yeah, it was definitely an interesting watch and it took me a while to cotton on, um, obviously seeing like the likes of Peter Dacos at the start, that it was an actual like film and not, um, yeah, real life. So that was kind of interesting as well. Yeah, and we might just go on to the sort of historical aspects of it now. Obviously, uh, it was sort of based on, or they alluded to the Collingwood Football Club in the movie um, and sort of that period around... Uh, 1980 and I think that as we sort of alluded to there was that sort of like changing tide of a footy landscape I guess Um, you know sort of disparities between the top tier players and you know the ones that were just you know having a run and that sort of thing especially uh, in the VFL and you know all those Victorian clubs I think that you know in that time as well you know they wanted you know footy was sort of in a state of flux I guess like there were strikes there were boardroom bust-ups like we sort of saw in the movie as well and I think loyalty really played a part in the time and it was sort of shown in this movie as well you know all the sort of themes of uh, bankruptcy and so I think that yeah uh, footy in the 70s and 80s was definitely different to now um, and not obviously just in how the footy club sort of uh, interacts with each other or, um, you know, sort of promotes itself as being. Yeah, it's definitely um, it's definitely from a different time, isn't it? Uh, you know, just um, even $120,000 to sign Jeff Haywood. Um, you know, uh, isn't that what rookies make these days? You know, it's, uh, yeah, it's definitely, it's stark when you watch it, just the... Um, just how different the game was um, compared to the game that we know, you know, today. Yeah. And we'll just uh, go into a bit of a source material for this film as well. So this film was based on a play of the same name by Australian playwright and dramatist David Williamson, who also wrote this film as well. And there are a few differences from the film to the play as well. So in the film, there are scenes that take place outside the club's hallowed halls, um, in the play, all the scenes are inside the club and acted out in real time, whereas the film takes place over a season. Obviously, with the film, they had the luxury of using Victoria Park as a backdrop and had scenes of training and all the games there. In the play, the club is never named to be one specific club, whereas in the film, Collingwood's Guernsey is used. And as I said, the entire uh, film was shot on location at Victoria Park. The theme song to Collingwood is used. Collingwood players appear Um as cameos and all this sort of stuff in speaking and non-speaking roles and you know Collingwood is referred to by name and obviously all the other clubs 
um, you know, that were part of the VFL at that time as well, including uh, Carlton, Hawthorne, Fitzroy. They were all referred to as well. Uh, we'll get to this a bit later as well, but in the film, the incident with the stripper is shown, whereas in the play, she's an unseen character. And the play does not show the club winning the premiership at the end. Instead, it ends after Laurie vowing to make the finals and screw the club's board. I actually didn't know that uh, that it was um, originally a play. I didn't know that. Honestly, uh, this could be a hot take, but uh, I feel like I would, from what you've said about the play, I feel like I'd probably enjoy um, the play more than I enjoyed the movie. I don't think that's a hot take at all. Yeah, so the play was first staged by the Melbourne Theatre Company in 1977 and uh, toured Australia-wide, broke a couple of box office records, had a couple of seasons in Germany and the United States and the United Kingdom as well. Oh, um, wow. Pretty good. To, you know, when you think about sort of the appeal that Australian rules football has um, or, you know, might have had even in the 1970s and 80s, you know, you wouldn't ever expect that, but I guess sort of the overriding themes are, you know, sort of the plot as well. Like, you know, I feel like if someone in Germany, you know, wanted to go see the film, they might not have been too, uh, you know, too invested or uh, known too much about Aussie rules football. But um, I think that if they could follow along with the storyline, then that would be sort of fair enough for them to see. Um, but yeah, just based on those sort of differences between the play and the film I think that I would agree with you um I think that I think that for the film like it was fair enough to use Collingwood as the team of choice and um sort of bring up those sort of parts of history I guess um and just sort of you want that to sort of be played out on the big screen especially against other VFL teams from the time as well um but yeah, I feel like some of the parts that weren't in the play, I think would have uh, sort of been sort of beneficial. Like I feel like they weren't necessarily needed in the film. It's interesting you touch on that um, because um, just doing a bit of research, um, the state theatre company over in South Australia actually produced um, an all-female version of the of the play, um, the club. So it was the same story um, as the play, except um, the there was three women um, as act at playing the roles. So yeah, it was definitely reading this. It was it's definitely interesting um, the way they took on it. So it was um, Louisa McGon, um, Nadia Rossi, and. Alan Steele, um, who um, took the three main roles. So, yeah, it definitely would have been an interesting one to watch and see, seeing how um, they sort of portrayed the, yeah, portrayed that play. But, yeah, um, definitely interesting to hope to see the comparisons between, like, the play and the film. When, when did that come out, Ellie? 2019, I believe, according to, um, yeah, the document. It was published in 2019. So, yeah. Oh, fantastic. Jeez. If it's still getting around, I wouldn't mind checking out. The three of us should, uh, you know, make a night of it if it's still out there and go check it out, see if it does a, does any better than the movie. Yeah, possibly. That'd be really interesting because I know that um, the play, it was reproduced in 2017 and to and throughout Australia as well. So they've obviously brought the play back, um, you know, the 1997 play back 40 years later. 
Um, and if they've chosen to stage a play with an all-female sort of starring cast, um, I think that that would be really cool to go and watch. And, uh, yeah, I'd definitely go and watch it. I'd be fascinated to see it, absolutely. Yeah, so there was three, just reading into it, there was um, three women. So they played the um, main what, one, two, three, four, five, six. Yeah, so they played the six characters between them. So obviously um, each of them took on two different roles. And it's actually, look at reading at this document, they actually um, had like diagrams of like how they transformed them into those characters. So were they essentially playing the same characters from, from the movie? Yeah, so Jock Riley, Ted Parker, Jeff Haywood, Jerry Cooper, um, Laurie Holden, and Danny Rowe. So, yeah, all the same characters from yeah, the movie. Right. Yeah, that'd be fantastic to see. That's incredible. That'd yeah. be awesome to see, like, especially in, like, the boardroom meetings where pretty much, like, all the characters are in. Like, yeah. just envision <laughs> them, like, swapping seats or something like that. Yeah, yeah, no, that sounds great. We have started to talk about the characters, and so... Uh, and while we've been talking about the plot as well, um, we'll go into the acting performances of each character as well. So just to give you a bit of a rundown on who the actors were, uh, we have Jeff Hayward, played by John Howard, who's the new recruit from Tasmania with a huge reputa reputation, who's lured to the club with big money in an attempt to haul the team up the ladder. We've got Laurie Holden, uh, played by Jack Thompson, who is the coach of the club um, and yeah, who's struggling to find success and is his position is under a bit of pressure. Um, so he's trying to avoid getting sacked. We have Ted Parker played by Graham Kennedy. He's the club president and owner of a pie factory named Parker's Pies. Basically he's just a fan with a lot of money that the club want a share of. Um, but he's also a long time dedicated fan. Um, he said many times throughout the movie that he's never missed a Collingwood game. We've got Jock Riley played by Frank Wilson. He's an ex champion player from an earlier era and the successful coaching predecessor to Laurie. Um, so he has quite a big influence. I think that he was a, a four time premiership player. They alluded to as well. We've got Jerry Cooper played by Alan Castle. Um, he's basically just an administrator hired to uh, drag the club into a more professional era. And finally, we have Danny Rao, played by Harold Hopkins. He's a player on the team. He's a captain on the team. He's a 29-year-old, and basically the club feels as if his career is almost finished and consider trading him despite being the best player. So whether you want to touch on one character from the film or all of them sort of, you know, we saw them all interacting with each other at one stage or another and saw them all interacting with each other in sort of the same scene as well. So I'm interested to know what you sort of saw of their acting performances and just their, you know, acting performances against the other actors as well. Okay. So as far as the acting performances go, I've got some thoughts, man. Um, <laughs> Jack Thompson was good, the coach. He was believable. In my opinion, you guys might think differently, but uh, in my opinion, he was the only one who put in a kind of believable performance. I think this movie kind of smacks a lot of, you know, famous 80s overacting. Even someone like Graham Kennedy, um, the Parker's Pies guy, you know, like he, he, I don't know how much of a, 
an actor he is, but he's definitely like someone with a bit of screen presence. I mean, he, he was on TV for a long time. Even he was just hamming it up a lot. And um, yeah, it didn't live, it didn't live up to uh, the lofty standards of, uh, you know, seven-year-old Stewie watching it um, and just being dazzled by it, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. I tend to agree with you. There was a lot of um, overacting, in it in the movie um yeah especially I think that boardroom scene I think it was after the first match in the film where um they the coach um Laurie wanted to drop Jeff Haywood into the seconds or something but um the president of the club at the time wouldn't allow it and just when they kept like going on and like sort of um arguing with each other it was like very overacted and very hyped up and um yeah, they sort of one say something and then the other would just like go absolutely nuts. And it was just like, oh my God, what's happening? Um, but yeah. Yeah, no, definitely. I think that I agree with both of you. Um, <laughs> I think that, yeah, it was sort of overacted, sort of overplayed in terms of the characters themselves and sort of the role that they played in the movie, especially. Um, you know, obviously the movie does explore you know, the differences, the discrepancies between sort of prominent members of the club. And I think that that obviously plays into, uh, you know, their performances, I guess, um, of the characters. And I think that, yeah, I think that what really like was a bit funny to me um, was that, you know, it just sometimes like turned, you know, their sort of like voice or like the way that they spoke just like changed so suddenly. Um, whether that was like, you know, in the boardroom scene um, where they're discussing Jeff Hayward and, you know, what he's worth and all this sort of stuff and his contract, I think that, you know, they could just be talking over the top of one another, but then like going into like full on shouting mode, or I found it really funny as well. And there were times where you feel, you felt like two characters were having like a really heart to heart conversation um, and I think that this was evident um, with Jeff and Laurie, I believe, after one of the games, um, the game where uh, Jeff was stoned and just looking up at the sky or looking up as, at a seagull, like he said. Um, what a classic saying that was. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, like, you obviously saw Laurie pull him aside and start to yell at him and be like, you know, you know you're playing badly, you know, you're out of the zone and all this sort of stuff and then Jeff's like well why didn't you like change it up and Laurie's just like oh well I didn't think of that blah blah blah. and like it was just like the tone of their voice it just changed so suddenly all right if you really want to know what's going on is that I'm sick to death of football and I couldn't care less whether I never play another game in my life it's a lot of macho competitive bullshit you chase a, a lump of pigskin around a money ground as if your life depended on it, and when you finally get it, you kick it to buggery and then go chasing it again. Football shits me. Well, I wish to Christ you'd told us that before we paid out $120,000 for you. If you think you can buy me like a lump of meat, then you better think again. If you push me too far, Jeff, I love this club, and I love football, and I will not tolerate anyone who holds them both in contempt. Love the club? <laughs> Job Ted and Jerry? The club's not Jock, Ted and Jerry. Yeah, well, you've been doing some pretty bad coaching yourself lately. Such as? Such as not shifting Danny off Wilson. He was getting thrashed. I oh, know. Why didn't you shift him? 
because he was desperate to keep trying. He'd never been beaten so bad. Danny has been the backbone of our team for the last eight years. I felt I owed him something. And I found that really funny. I was like, way to sort like, I feel like, you know, you're swept up in one moment, um, whether it is that heart to heart or a more aggressive approach. And then, you know, you're sort of forced to see it differently as well. Yeah. And I think there was like a few times where like they made, they attempted humour and there was like that gap in between like the dialogue um, and the joke where you expected like a laugh track or something. I don't know if it was um, just me who knows. Like, it was the um, board scene and I think um, it was um, Jock who said something along the lines of, oh, so Harry so-and-so would be um, rolling in his grave and then, some, and then I think it was Laurie pipes up and goes, oh, he's not even dead yet. And then he goes something like, um, oh, but I went to his funeral last year and they're like, oh, that was Harry Trelaw. And then you, there was like this mid, like stop between like that joke and like the next of the dialogue you expected like that boom, boom, shh in between. I don't know if that was just me who noticed that. <laughs> it definitely wasn't just you. Um, there, was a, there was a few few different um, points of the movie where uh, a, life, a laugh track wouldn't have uh, gone astray for sure. How would Harry Payne feel if he knew that the word strike was being bandied around in this hallowed room. Just tell me that, eh? How would he feel? I mean, the man who kicked three superhuman goals for us in the dying minutes of the 1923 grand final and won us the flag. Wouldn't be surprised if he's turning in his grave right now. He isn't even dead. Harry? I went to his funeral last year. That was Harry Trelaw. Yeah, that's really interesting. And like, you know, in a satirical film, I guess you kind of expect that a little bit you expect something of a laugh track but you know I think that you know you don't really pause a movie or you know let a couple of seconds go past to sort of you know keep that gap between where a laugh track might be I think that yeah you can't really see that for a movie um you know if it was a sitcom yeah sure um but yeah definitely not for a movie so you know like Ali said like that just sort of threw out you know what you are watching you know you're just like why is there this sort of silence um or like you sort of know why there might be and i think that that you know if we want to sort of tie it back to the play i guess like an audience like that joke or that sort of sent um part of the dialogue you know maybe in a play they will actually stop for a couple of seconds and allow the audience to laugh in certain scenarios yeah that's a really interesting point i didn't really think of that at the time watching it but yeah yeah, are you saying that maybe the adaptation from the from the play is why there's those parts where maybe you know a bit of a chuckle from the crowd um, they might have taken a break for? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think you might have actually hit the nail right on the head there, Jason. Um, I think there's probably um, a few issues adapting it from the screenplay. I feel like you know they got sort of the crowd scenes really well, and you know, in a film, you know, or in a um, theatre show, you might like, you know, you don't really expect like a few claps or anything like that, you know, especially when a match might be playing out in front of you or something like that. But I feel like, yeah, that sort of brought a sense of seeing the game and, you know, just surrounding yourself with the sounds of the game and just created that sort of like buffer between any sort of bit of commentary or a bit of dialogue. So, um 
yeah, I feel like, you know, that's just perhaps what those were in the film. Regardless of the reasoning for it, um, it's always a little bit of poor form when, uh, you know, whatever movie you watch, whatever era it's from, when you're sitting there watching it and, you know, this movie occasionally would uh, would grab you, you know. But then something like that would happen with, uh, you know, the jokes that fall flat or or stuff that they've struggled to uh, adapt to the to the film screenplay, and it just takes you right out of it. You know what I mean? It just uh, it really ruins the uh, the enjoyment. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah, I think we've said a couple of times about how some of the jokes fall flat or some of the comments, you know, wouldn't hold up in today's age as well. Um, you know, some of the comments that you know were sexist and homophobic and all this sort of stuff and um, yeah, I think that when you look back on the movie and sort of like any sort of adaptation of it, you know, there are probably things that you will need to change um, if you were to sort of remake this sort of movie. Um, but we've talked about the acting performances and, yeah, sort of how the characters interacted with themselves. But what or was there anyone in particular that you sort of saw yourself gravitating towards in any sense in terms of relatability or, um, yeah, just a sense of, you know, understanding about the character or where they were, f- were coming from, um, sort of from a personal standpoint for either of you? Not really. <laughs> <laughs> I, I struggled to kind of, uh, yeah, I struggled to to kind of, yeah, relate to any of them, to be honest. Just different people from a different time um, doing something completely different to what I do. Um, yeah, I, I struggled a lot with it. Yeah, um, yeah, I agree. It was definitely hard to find someone to sort of relate to. But there was one sort of side, not even side character, like an extra that was um, kind of like, oh, that reminds me of me. Um, it was like the boardroom like the boardroom scene and they were like up the stairs walking down the hall and it was just like janitor minding his own business and then they're like all yelling and screaming and it's this poor janitor guy there trying to do his job so yeah. <laughs> uh, that was um yeah that was quite good yeah that's something that I like want to touch on I'll come back to like the question but like just because of like that segue I guess that's something that else that I wanted to touch on because like you know it was a bit funny to see like the janitor just, you know, vacuuming the floor um, while these people are arguing about, um, you know, any sort of topic. And it was just so funny to me that you'd expect these sorts of conversations, these private conversations that might get a little bit heated to be sort of like behind closed doors in an office and not just in the hallways. Cause like they were literally like just outside the boardroom. So like, walk into the boardroom and have a talk like not and like they were stepping over like the janitor's like vacuum or the cord or something like that you saw it later on in the film as well where laurie and i think it was jock um they were having a conversation uh about like the contract um i think it was of ted and you know them wanting ted to sort of resign um and you know they just looked like they were in like a sort of like chill out room like playroom rumpus room or something like that and like two i think players walked in and started playing table tennis or something like that i was just like what like as i said take it to an office if it's going to like get heated or like you don't want these discussions to be public knowledge um especially to players or like anyone could be listening (laughs) 
Yeah, hundred percent. It didn't seem very realistic. Uh, you'd imagine that they're very careful about having those conversations behind closed doors, particularly, I guess now. But uh, yeah, it's surprising they, you know, if this is an accurate depiction of uh, what a footy club was like in the late seventies, early eighties, uh, it's very surprising that uh, they didn't take those discussions behind closed doors. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so just relating back to the most relatable character in the film question. Um, yeah, I found myself as well, you know, not fully relating to a character. Like you were sometimes relating to a few of the characteristics of a few of the characters or, you know, a few of their sort of, um, you know, you understood sometimes what they were going through. Um, I think that, yeah, for me in probably the instance of Jeff in terms of, um, you know, coming to a new club and needing to uh, fit in, I guess, Um you know, so, you know, just like personally, I guess as well, like I've played footy as a junior as well. And I moved like a couple of clubs um, throughout a couple of years as well. Um, based on like, you know, the culture and, you know, just who I was around and, you know, whether I sort of like had anyone that I knew. Um, so in terms of like coming into a new club and like the expectation, not that I was any good either, but like, <laughs> You know, so like there was no expectation on me, um, but like you know, I feel like there was all that sort of pressure on players to perform, and like if you did have a bad game, like some people would make it known, um, you know, even just to you know you you, and I think that you know just like trying to work yourself out of that bit of a funk, I guess, um, you know, sort of resonated with me from like a personal playing standpoint. <laughs> Um, we touched on a little bit before as well about how true the sport is to the movie, uh, just based on a lot of those sort of like club room or uh, boardroom meetings, uh, the conversations between prominent members at the club, how the club was run and all that sort of stuff. Um, but in terms of, obviously, we also said that there's been not a lot of Aussie rules football movies being made. Uh, throughout the years but I feel like you know we've talked about the differences between the time periods as well but in terms of so we'll focus on the play itself I think so we saw a couple of uh, pieces of footage from a couple of games and I don't know what games specific games they were and from what season and all this sort of stuff but you know it obviously looked like you know real archival footage and you know, sometimes mixed in with what was shot for the film, especially in like, you know, team huddles or something like that. It was just focused on uh, Laurie sometimes giving his address to the players and that sort of thing. So I think that when it showed what appeared to be archive footage, I think that it did really well because Aussie Rules is such a fast paced game. And what I noticed a lot in this movie was that sort of for most, I think the majority of the scenes in which an Aussie rules match was depicted and played out and all this sort of stuff. They, they slowed down the actual play itself. And so it was easier, I guess, to like keep up with what is usually a fast paced game. Yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. It was interesting to try and sort of pick out what was like archived and what was like, um, obviously like within the movie, because obviously some of the players there were, um, obviously fictional but there was like players I think in the grand final it was they had mentioned Peter Moore or something and obviously I wasn't 
in that era so I wasn't 100% sure if it actually was Peter or not but um yeah it was interesting to sort of decipher what was um sort of footage obviously because I wasn't in that around in that era and what was yeah fictional especially in those um sort of montage game scenes yeah I, I don't I'm not too sure either um with regards to that but I, what I will say is a lot of it did look like archive footage and um they did a good job of blending you know choreographed stuff with the uh with the archive stuff yeah, and I think it was just like made it easier to sort of follow along with what was happening. Um, obviously, the commentary played a big part as well. And I don't know if that was commentary based on a particular game. They obviously had shots of the commentators up in the booth as well, calling the game. And so I don't know like what was actually, you know, part of the commentary for a particular game or what they actually spoke about uh, for the movie as well. But, you know, I think that yeah, it was pretty easy to follow along with like what was happening in the game. And I think that that was a really important point, especially, you know, probably if you weren't too familiar with the game, I think that the, um, you know, the commentary paired with the slow-mo sort of vision of an Aussie rules football game being played out might've made it a bit easier to understand um, especially if someone wasn't too, you know, well versed in the game. I think uh, I think most of the just touching on your commentary for a very small part of a very good point you made broadly there, Jason. Um, I think the commentary was mostly scripted because Lou Richards is actually um, he's in the credits for the cast. So, um, yeah, that's right. So yeah, you mentioned Lou Red- Richards being part of the. Uh, commentary and being part of the film's credits and prominent football commentators such as Fred Cook, Jack Dyer, Bob Davis, reporter Scott Palmer, Ron Carter, they all had parts in the film too. Well, there's no doubt about it, Scotty. This is the most phenomenal comeback in the history of football. Who would have ever dreamt that uh, they would have come back and made the grand final after losing five games in a row? Only me, Lou. I predicted that there would be a comeback and I also said that that young kid from Tasmania, Jeff Hayward, would come good. You! Genius! What a lot of rubbish. Look, all people want to talk about and want to hear about from us is who's going to win the game tomorrow. I'm freaked if I know. And so I think that like the cameos from Collingwood footballers at the time as well, like Peter Dacos and Renee Kink, um, you know, Collingwood's coach at the time, Tom, Tom Hafey, he features as an assistant coach as well. I think that having them all and so like such prominent footy identities as well, you know, no matter when you watch it, like you're always going to know about these names as well. And like, you know, what might have felt like such a big get, you know, back when the film was made to have the likes of those, um, you know, former players uh, or current players as well at the time, um, current coaches as well. There's that familiar sense that, you know, who you're seeing when the subject of the movie, it just brings about that sense that, you know, the movie and what it's exploring and sort of the throw into sort of Collingwood and the sport is all really valid and I think that it even stacks up today because you know we've just watched the movie now and we know these names and we recognize these faces and so you know it's just a bit of a surprise I think seeing it for the first time too and just sort of recognizing these people and you know knowing that you know they had a part in the film and knowing that you know, that's that sort of point of, um, I guess, 
you know, seeing, you know, familiar faces. Yeah, 100%. And I think, like, just finally, like, I want to just touch on a bit about how the game was sort of played or uh, how the game was sort of shot, especially because we had a few different sorts of scenes or uh, shots, I guess, that saw the game move along. You know, you had the close-ups of marking contests or people just handballing or kicking the ball, but you also had those sorts of disjointed camera angles as well that were like ground level shots and, you know, shots that were behind the goals and all this sort of stuff. And I don't know, I think that that's sort of pretty reflective on the sorts of camera usage that they have in modern day games as well. I mean, I think that the ground level shot is probably like I mean, in my mind, like the worst one, because like it just doesn't really give you much or show you anything, um, you know, in terms of what's actually happening where the ball is. Um, But I think that, yeah, in terms of like the camera angles and all this sort of stuff, like what was shown in the movie uh, sort of holds up in what you see on TV today too. Yeah, there's definitely some good good camera work in there. Um, Yeah, I think visually... That's probably the one thing in the movie that uh, that kind of you know would kind of hold up still today. It uh, and I can't really think of a, a, a different way to film a, an Aussie Rules movie as well. So this is just a roundabout my way of me getting to a question. We've we the three of us have kind of danced around this a little bit for the whole podcast. Um, like what? other afl movies are there like actual scripted movies revolving around afl other than the club do you guys know of any there are only a handful of aussie rules football films being made um there's one that was well there's i think there's was two that were released uh in just sort of the past decade as well um one of them's called blinder that was from 2013 that one's about a guy who's an aspiring football star who fled Australia following a scandal and returns to Australia to restore his reputation and obviously plays in a um, Aussie rules football team, the Torquay Tigers in, a, in the Ballerine Football League. So there is that sort of, um, it's a sports drama film, but it does sort of revolve similar to the club, I guess. It, you know, actually depicts a proper real football club as well right um the other one that i think is a big one is called the merger which is a 2018 film as well and that i guess maybe similar to the club too it explores the decline of a cash-strapped aussie rules rural footy club and the recruitment of refugees to keep the club viable um so they're the two sort of ones that have been released recently i haven't seen blinder but i have seen the merger and I think that it's a really good film. Um, funnily enough, John Howard is also in The Merger and plays, right. plays, plays a pretty big role. I'm just looking to see if he's in Blinder. Uh, he's not. Oh, but Jack Thompson is. So <laughs> <laughs> Noticing a theme here. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, you're always having the same uh, couple of Aussie actors appearing in Aussie rules football movies. And even, you know, 30, 40 years apart. Um, so... You know, we talked about how young um, John Howard looked in the club. Um, you know, watch watch the merger from only you know four years ago, and 
you'll see a you know John Howard that might dark be... differences, yeah. dark difference in the <laughs> physique of uh, one John Howard. Um, there is, funnily enough, scrolling through the forums just now. There's apparently a um, another one called Valentine's Day. Apparently, it's about Ben Valentine, who um, I believe just got released from. Um, just out of prison and he's trying to um sort of rebuild his life and comes across an afl not an afl but a local football team um so yeah that's one of them um and it has reese Muldoon in it and but i don't think it's got any of the recurring actors that we've seen um in the other ones see i looked at that um you know i went onto the you know wikipedia page of you know, Aussie rules football films and saw Valentine's Day. And my first thought was, I don't remember like, you know, Julia Roberts and Hathaway, <laughs> Ashton Kutcher, Taylor Swift, Taylor Lautner being in an Aussie rules football film. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then, yeah, I obviously looked at what the film actually was and uh, it's very different to that Valentine's Day. <laughs> um, but yeah, there's definitely not that many Aussie rule f- rules football films around which brings us to our favorite question of goals on film if you could have an aussie rules related movie get made what would it be uh stuart we'll start with you for this one okay so i'm going to do a total homer pick here um i'd love to see a movie about uh the inception of the adelaide crows um, so I don't know if you guys are across this. I know that uh, listeners out there that are footy fans will be across it. Um, the Crows came in um, off the back of a, uh, a failed Port Adelaide Magpies bid to, uh, to join the AFL. Um, so basically the, the, the board of the SANFL got wind of Port Adelaide, kind of wanted to jump ship to the VFL soon to become the AFL. And um, they were like, well, you know, we can't, this is, our, this is our biggest cash cow, I suppose, our best team that we have. We can't lose them to the VFL. And then they kind of, um, they kind of sugarcoated it by saying, well, it shouldn't be Port Adelaide. It should be representative of the entire state, not just one part of the state. And uh, thus the Adelaide Crows were born. And uh, it was super controversial. And there was a lot of shady backroom dealings done and, yeah, yeah, I just think it'd be fascinating to see a movie uh, about that point in time. For me, I may be extremely biased here, but the um, journey to the 2016 grand final, I think, um, obviously, as I touched on before, I wasn't a Bulldog supporter at the time, but um, my dad was. Um, so to slowly sort of watch all those games, like the, I remember... I believe it was a Thursday night sitting in my front room watching the um, West Coast game. And we're like, no, nah, there's no way that they're going to do it. They did they did it. We thought the same thing about the Hawthorne one. They did that one. They beat them as well. Then GWS were like, surely not. Um, but they did. And I remember briefly, um, we were watching it at my cousin's house because my mum my and dad went to my neighbours like, I think it was 40th. Um, sorry if it was younger than that and I've just added 10 years on um, <laughs> but um, yeah so we were watching that at my cousin's house around the corner and that was nail biting but we're like surely they're not going to do it but they did and then the, then there was the grand final my dad went to the game and then we were at my other cousin's house to watch the game and then we're like surely not um, surely they can't do it and of course they did um, and 
yeah, it brought so much joy to so many um, Bulldog supporters. And I know um, we spent, after, as soon as the um, final siren went and we watched the presentations, we went over to my grandma's house who lives in the local retirement village. So we went to her apartment and sort of celebrated with her because, um, yeah, it's been a long time coming for so many. It was a long time coming for so many Bulldogs fans. Yeah, it's absolutely always a special occasion when a team sort of wins after so many years and especially in the instance of the Bulldogs, that being only their second premiership ever, um, first like under the Western Bulldogs name as well. And, yeah, I think that that would be a really good story. It'd be fascinating. No one saw that flag coming. It was incredible. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know one of my friends, um, you know, just going on to the Western Bulldogs uh, line as well. He had a uh, family member who was like the co-captain or the vice-captain of that uh, 1954 premiership team. And, uh, yeah, I think that, you know, if you were to do something, I feel like in that instance, like a comparison between the two, just because it was so long, there were so many changes. I think that, you know, you could always do something uh, involving like interviews with people as well and you know make it a bit of a sort of biopicy type film as well no so my pick for an Aussie rules football film to be made is a little bit different as well uh, it is a movie about Aussie rules but it is not one that is set in Australia so I remember back in 2017, there was the Australian Football International Cup or the AFL International Cup, as it's also known, and it was being played in Melbourne. And basically, Aussie rules football teams from all around the world, um, you know, come to Melbourne and basically play off in a Aussie rules football competition or tournament. And in 2017, there were 18 men's teams and eight women's teams. And the most recent champions were Papua New Guinea in the men and Ireland in the women. Um, Papua New Guinea had won their third title. Ireland women had won their second title. Um, but I think that what really struck me in 2017 especially was one of my friends was also playing for Oakley at the time. And her team had a practice match against a sort of a US national team of the same age demographic. I think it was like under 19s or just that sort of period that is just before seniors. And um, what really struck me is that there was a commentator there as well by the name of Brian Barish. And he is a prominent uh, figure in the sort of the creation or maybe not the creation, but he's a prominent figure in the United States Australian Football League. Um, which is the governing body for Australian rules football in the US, was first conceived in 1996 and organised in 1997. And there's, yeah, there's 50 member clubs of which 48 have men's and 27 have women's. And basically I think that, yeah, in all this, I feel like a film that sort of touches on the impact or the growing impact of Aussie rules football especially overseas and if you were to use the USAFL I guess as you know sort of a benchmark um, just based on the number of teams that are involved all across the United States um, which obviously covers a lot of land um, I think that would just be really good to look at in terms of how it happened and how it's grown to be so big. I think that'd be an awesome story. Uh... 
I think that the uh, the AFL International Cup kind of doesn't get the recognition it deserves over here in Australia. I think we're kind of spoiled because obviously it's our game and and we have the best league and you know the most history and all the rest of it. But uh, you know it's it it's actually kind of incredible that uh, a game that we invented over here is played by so many different countries and. You know, I think if you had a feature film or something like that, um, that kind of centered around it, it could be a good uh, jumping off point to to really get it to be present in the uh, in the Australian sporting consciousness. Yeah, and I think especially for the international or the AFL International Cup as well, like it wasn't just your regular, you know, games were played at the MCG or Marvel Stadium or, you know, GMHBA down in Geelong. Um, you know, it was all, I mean, the grand final, which was played at the MCG, which Papua New Guinea defeated New Zealand by one point. Um, so pretty close. Um, all the games were played at sort of suburban uh, venues as well. So you had a, a lot of the games were played at Royal Park in Parkville. Um, whereas I'm interested, and a couple were actually played at Victoria Park. So obviously the uh, shooting location of the club. Um, but I'm also interested just seeing now that a couple of these were, you know, they they went to Ballarat, but a lot of these as well were just about like 15 minutes from me. Um, so that's really interesting to me that, you know, they use these suburban grounds or just these regular sort of reserves where it might be easier for members of the public to sort of go and watch these international teams play our sport, I guess, um and yeah it's just so accessible but like you said Stuart I think that you didn't really know too much about it and so I think that if there was that in maybe the sense of a film um I think that any sort of pre um any sort of addition that will follow you know now um you know the 2021 vert or the 2020 iteration of the tournament was cancelled and the next one is in 2023 so it's only next year I think that if you can gather a bit of sort of interest in it you know in the lead up to it I think that it could be a really good competition when it does roll around and get that support that you know it wants I guess and that you know you sort of want it to have yeah, yeah. Let's you know if the AFL wanted to, and I'm sure it's the AFL that uh, that runs this this international cup, this World Cup competition. I imagine. So if they wanted to, I mean, they're not short of a quid, are they? Like they could pump some money into it and and give it a bit of presence in the newspapers and on TV and stuff, and and you know whip up it a bit of public interest. But uh, you know, I guess it just remains to be seen. It, if they are, you know, I guess they've got a little bit on their plate um, at the moment with the uh, with the CEO stepping down and and all the rest of it. But uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I guess getting off on a bit of a tangent here, but uh, I think it's something that could be like a huge. It could be huge, you know, if they marketed it correctly. Um, it could be it could be tremendous. Yeah. So, um, just on your point about it being run by the AFL, there was an international Australian football council um, which was established in 1995 to govern the sport of aussie rules internationally um, but by 2004 the afl had formed its own international policy the first of its kind since the formation of the international australian football council 
And at that point, the AFL became formally recognised as world governing body for the sport. Right. Okay. Just a bit of history for you. Thanks, mate. (laughs) (laughs) All right. And on that note, it does bring us to the end of our episode. So, Ali, Stuart, would you like to provide your social media handles? So you can find me on Twitter at um, AliMac24. So E-L-L-Y-M-C-24 is there's about 100 different ways to spell Ali these days. And you can find me on uh, on Twitter at Stewie is sick of it. S-T-U-E-Y-I-S-S-I-C-K-O-F-I-T. That at Stewie is sick of it. Uh, hit me up. Tell me how, how bad my takes are. Uh, I love a bit of a debate. <laughs> and you can find me on Twitter or Instagram at JSERVS. That's at J A S E I R V S. You've been listening to Goals on Film. You can find Goals on Film on Twitter and Instagram at Goals on Film Pod. But Goals on Film is part of the Edge of the Crowd network. You can find Edge of the Crowd on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, TikTok, YouTube at Edge of the Crowd. I think that it would be wrong if we didn't acknowledge Edge of the Crowd's dedicated. Aussie Rules podcast as well, of which you can listen to Ali on that every week. You can find What The Ruck at What The Ruck Pod on both Twitter and Instagram. As well, you can also read any of our stories, be it sport, culture, a bit of politics on our website, www.edgeofthecrowd.com. Thanks for listening and we'll catch you next time.